Hello, and welcome everyone to Believe. Uh, we are a conscious media company where we are bringing you guys amazing stories revolving around money and business, health and wellness, true success, our universe, and world news. I am Vanessa, and we are going to have a fabulous day today. Um, we're going to jump right into a money and business topic. Um, question. Could spiritual consciousness make or, you know, make for a better business? Could spiritual consciousness be necessary for a successful business? Hmm. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Now, there are some people that would go as far as to say, yes, spirituality is an integral part to an emotionally, emotionally wealthy uh, life, um, you know, to a balanced life. And that community, just, you know, the very concept of community and, you know, a larger purpose attached to work energizes us and it gives us a purpose. It gives us, you know, a deeper meaning for success. These things I've heard and, you know, I happen to agree with those people. Um, but it's possible that, you know, maybe you don't. It's possible that maybe you see things differently. But I would love to ask, you know, anyone that does see that differently. Let's ask them. Why do we care about money? Why do you care about money? You know, why do we work? What do you believe the reason or the purpose is for that? And, you know, it's as if we live to work. We live to work. We work to live to, you know, afford our basic necessities and all that kind of stuff. And pretty soon it feels like we forget why we're living. You know, we forget to enjoy our lives and to, you know, find to find happiness in things. And we just kind of just walk through life. You know, we just get through life rather than living through life. And I think that all that this is connected, I think it's all connected with our perception about success, um, our businesses, and what we need to incorporate into them to make them successful. I think that it's all connected. And um, we know that at this point, though, of course, when it comes to money, and as far as, you know, maybe to answer that question, why do we need it? Why do we work? You know, it's, it's you know, for freedom. We we work so that we, are, we, we allow ourselves, you know, the freedom to get what we want, do what we want, and, you know, to live the life that we think that we want. But what's interesting is that we cannot buy happiness. We can't buy love. We can't buy those types of satisfactions. So what exactly, it leads back to that question, what are we working for? You know, if what are what are we doing if we if we don't actually understand the bigger picture? If we don't understand what why we're doing it, then why are we doing it? You know, these are questions that have always filled my mind. And you know, I think this topic today is truly, truly for those individuals who dedicate their lives, who work tirelessly, overwork themselves for the material objects, for things just to buy things in life, you know, a fancy car, a nice home. These are great things. We need them. You know, they're, st they're stable things, of course, or they equate to a stable life. But I really think this is for you, for anyone that really equates your social status with your work. And, you know, you haven't really found that, that deeper personal connection in connecting your life's work to your spirituality, as well as, you know, your, your humanness, if you will all those different things. Maybe this story, this topic, you know, is for you. Um, we must have some connection to a philosophy of life that's bigger than solely feeding our egos and material needs. Um, I got that from an article, Seven Tips, um, from entrepreneur.com, I'm sorry, <clears throat> where it was discussed, the name of that article 
is seven reasons spirituality is integral to an emotionally um, wealthy life. And I think that it definitely, definitely holds weight. I think that we need to be focusing more on the holistic view. I think we need to incorporate um, our spirituality, philosophies, more of a philosophy or way of life into our workplaces and into our into our businesses. And, you know, maybe you're asking me still, why? <laughs> why is this? Why should I do this? Why should I care? What is spirituality? Why? How can it benefit me? And all those, all these other questions. Um, and we, we, I do have some answers for you. Spirituality, I believe it, you know, I think that it definitely does result into in a higher quality of life. It it connects you back to something that's more meaningful, you know, and to more mindful uh, choices. And I believe that we no longer feel alone when we're faced with our struggles because then now you'll be a part of a community. Other individuals, like-minded individuals who also perceive things the way that you do and who also, you know, they're just trying to find, they're just trying to make things work out for themselves just as well. You need people, though, that are going to be there for you on those, um, I guess, through those challenges. Someone to communicate with, someone to comfort you, uh, someone to counsel you. Um, the more that we loves our, love ourselves, respect ourselves and other people, the healthier um, the choices that we make in nearly every area of our lives will be. And I truly believe that. But when we, when we dive into this, I'm going to give you seven amazing tips um, as to how as to how you can do this. But before we do dive into that, I kind of want to explain on deeper spirituality. You know, and me, when, when I hear this, when I connect this piece and the story that I'm giving to you, when you hear spirituality, I want you to connect it to, to mindfulness, connect it to holistic lifestyles and or a holistic lifestyle and, you know, holistic perspectives, incorporating the whole, the sum, um, self-awareness, as well as prosperity. I think all of these things are connected with spirituality and connected to finding spirituality in your workplace. Now, self-awareness being one of the biggest ones on that list, uh, I believe, it's one of the most important skills to definitely have uh, for success. I think anyone would tell you that, that being self-aware um, and knowing your strengths, your weaknesses, and and so forth will totally help you in the long run for success. So it doesn't change when we're talking about it in this perspective. How you behave and respond to your external situations, it's governed by internal mental and emotional processes. So everything is connected, whether you want to perceive it or not. Whether you are in tune with the fact that, you know, every little thing that happens in your life is affecting every other little thing in your life, whether you're aware of it or not, it is affecting you. So it would make more sense to dive into that, you know, to, to just become in tune with all these little processes that are happening around you. Now, <clears throat> I don't think it's difficult. Here's a little side note story for you. I don't think that it's difficult to determine, you know, whether you're dealing with somebody that's spiritually conscious or conscious or anything like that. Um, but I think that you would want your employer, you know, the people that you, the person that you work for, um, as well as, you know, your employees, you would want, you'd want to be surrounded by people that value consciousness and value mindfulness. Um, and I would just say, for instance, personal story, I, a previous, um, employer of, of mine, he spent the majority of his time yelling 
um, very unpleasant attitude, yelling at all of us. Um, literally anyone that worked um, under this under this man, he uh, you got yelled at, you got cursed at, you got disrespected, and it was just not a very pleasant situation for people to be in. And like I said, this was on a regular basis. Um, he was running a sales a sales office, a sales room. So I believe that he felt that his attitude and his enthusiasm, if you will, um, was reasonable and tolerant and should be okay and was necessary. Um, I think he felt he needed that um, to, to push people. But when he found that other offices, other insurance um, sales offices were making more money, were also doing bigger things and everything else compared to his, um, he really, you know, he was kind of in for a rude, rude awakening. And pretty, you know, pretty soon he had employees of his own that were leaving and going to other places, taking on other opportunities and so on and so forth. So he was losing, you know, so many opportunities overnight almost. And it's really he only had himself to blame because I believe that it was his attitude, his approach um, to his business that ultimately caused all these things. I think that if you focus a little more, you know, on mindfulness, and I think that I'm really using this example as I learned a lot from it, and I think that you can learn a lot from it. It's not to, you know, point at this person or bring this person down or make them feel any type of way. It really is just I learned. I was mindful, you know, in that moment watching everything that happened. So I learned about how just being mindful, just being aware of how your words and your actions affect others and how other people can perceive your, you know, perceptions and observations differently. Just being aware of all of that, just being mindful of it, I think could totally help you and it, it could save, you know, these kinds of situations. So I just wanted to share that, you know, it's possible that you've ran into a similar situation. Maybe you have, maybe you've already been faced with a situation where all you had to learn was mindfulness and maybe you didn't pay attention to it then. Maybe this story, you know, will go to serve you, but I think that we, you'll find that. You'll find more stories like that throughout your entire life. There are so many things that are going on around you. And it's like little little things are just trying to present themselves to you. And it's literally just about being mindful to it, being open to receiving that information. So <clears throat> I'm just going to say, right, there were a few things that he did wrong there, right? He didn't take the time to establish a positive, healthy environment for his employees, um, where possibilities can grow. He wasn't aware of his own actions and, you know, how they affected others. And he was rude and unpleasant, of course. And so naturally you're going to be, you're going to be, um, setting that tone for your employees. They might walk in and it's just like, oh, a downpour of negative energy. And that's how they're going to approach their day. That's how they're going to approach their sales. And that's how their week is going to be, you know? So I think there's so much to be learned from that. And if you don't believe that self-awareness and consciousness are important to your growth and your growth, uh, your business's growth, then hopefully these seven tips will help you see something different. It'll maybe um, spark something different in you. Honestly, I would say try these seven tips and see if they make a difference in your life. Let's go ahead and start with number one, um, the three whys. Now, before taking action, um, it's suggested that you ask yourself, why? Why am I doing this? What can I, what, what, what is here to gain? What's beneficial? Pros and cons. You ask yourself why. And then when you get an answer, you ask yourself again, follow it up with a, follow it up with another question. Why? And then once more, third time, ask why again. 
And it's been said that if you can find three good legitimate reasons, you know, to do something, then you have clarity and you will be more confident um, in your actions and in carrying out that, that action. So ask yourself why three times every single time you're trying to make a decision about something so that you can gain the clarity and the confidence and the understanding as to why you do want to do it. Number two, expand your emotional vocabulary. It was philosopher uh, Wittgenstein who said the limits of my language means, means the limits of my world. He understood that what it is that he understood and what it is that he knew is as far as he'll be able to go. So if you're constantly expanding your emotional vocabulary and constantly, and that's also your vocabulary as well, right? Constantly learn new things. But putting your feelings into words um, has a therapeutic effect to it. So if you can find a way to find new ways to, um, I guess, express yourself, not just, you know, I'm tired, but I'm exhausted and really going into the details as to why you're exhausted. You're, you're making a mind-body connection and you're, and um, it's making it easier for you to understand those, those weird things that are going on. You know, it'll be easier for you to understand why you're exhausted and you'll probably won't think, you know, when it happens, you won't, your first thought won't be that you're exhausted. Your first thought will be that solution that you've already come to. You know, oh, I need to drink more water. That's what happens. I get tired. You know, you'll you'll start to actually notice the processes of your body, of your brain, of your emotions. If you get in the habit, you get into the habit of um, using more words, using different words, and really expanding your emotional vocabulary. Number three is practice saying no to yourself. I love this one. And honestly, I have, I'm learning from this one every single day. The ability to say no to yourself um, to put off short-term gratifications for the long-term gain is so important. It's such a huge life skill. And every entrepreneur, of course, they know this. Back me up here, of course. It's like a muscle. You're strengthening it. You know, you're strengthening it with exercise. You're practicing, you're practicing. And what I'm and what I mean by, you know, I'm learning from this every single day. I'm one of those people that has, you know, a habit of taking off my clothes at night and just throwing it on a chair somewhere, right? And I've, I wanted to train myself to be more organized, to be, you know, more tidy, to to not do stuff like that. So I've been training myself and saying no to myself. I literally, the other night, it was really funny. I, I, I laid in bed and I was ready to go to sleep and I literally forced myself. I told myself, you are not allowed to go to sleep. You're not allowed to get comfortable until you get up and take that jacket and put it in the closet on a hanger. And I did it. And I'm getting in the habit of not allowing myself to slack off and not allowing myself to get away with the things that it's like, oh, whatever, it's one day. I told myself that night, and it's so funny, I literally wouldn't let myself go to sleep. I just kept talking and talking, like that little voice in your head, I wouldn't let it stop talking. I was just like, you leave it there today, it'll pile up, it'll become, you know, an even bigger mess by the end of the week. You know, I was just going, this just goes into showing you that saying no to yourself is only conditioning yourself for better, stronger habits that you'll want <laughs> later on in life. Number four, is to break the visceral reactions. Self-awareness, it, 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 it allows you to be an individual. It allows yourself to actually think about what it is that you want. You're gonna objectively and rationally look at situations um, without acting on your, I guess, your stereotypes and your biases, without acting on whatever it is that you think it should be. You become more and more aware of who you actually are and what it is that you actually want. And you know, you, you're, you're moving more towards, um, actually 
actually getting what it is that you want. So <clears throat> it's suggested that you just take a deep breath before you act, especially when in a situation that triggers anger or frustrations, this gives you enough time to recess whether your response will be the best one. Um, this is actually, I've actually helped quite a few friends with anger issues also go through something like this. I've always been pretty good at, at this similar tactic when it comes to just breathing and acting at my frustrations and not allowing myself to, you know, um, let my angers dictate uh, for me. Of course it's happened, I'm human, it has happened. But I know that, I know it's something that I allow to happen often. And I've helped a lot of other people reach that realization and work on that as well. Just take a deep breath, you know, take a step away from the situation. Don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed. Um, and by taking that step back, you're giving yourself the time to analyze your frustrations. And by analyzing your frustrations, you're learning about yourself and what leads to those frustrations. So it's no longer about not getting angry. It's about actually understanding what gets you angry. And I think that it's just, it's all about mindfulness. Everything I'm saying to you could be described in one word, mindfulness, just paying attention to your, to your motives, to your reactions, to your life and to what you do. So that was number four. Number five is to practice self-evaluation and reflection. Again, mindfulness, keep a journal, you know, and track your progress. How would you rate your current level of self-awareness out there right now? How would you, how would you um, rate your current level? One to 10, how much self-awareness would you say that you have? And if it's, you know, closer to one, work on getting closer to 10. If it's, you know, right in the middle, work on getting closer to 10. Think about how often you st you say regretful things, repeat bad habits, make absent-minded distractions, have erratic thoughts. Think about those things and set regular goals to break those goals, to break those things. Um, you're going to break your big goals down into small milestones. And you're going to ask yourself at the end of each day, what did I do well today? And write that down. And then ask yourself, how can I improve on this tomorrow? And write those down. Honestly, I truly think that this is the epitome of mindfulness, like I said. And I think that this is what all great entrepreneurs do. I think all great entrepreneurs have that moment either daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it is that they figure out what it is that they are doing well and what it is that they need to work on. It's the only way that we're going to be able to improve. So definitely set self-evaluations. Practice that. Practice getting into the habit of critiquing yourself and learning more about your, your pros and your cons, your strengths and your weaknesses, right? Do a SWOT analysis. That's essentially what we're talking about here. Really get into what is, what needs to be done to make this business a better business. Number six. So ask for constructive feedback regularly. I'm not sure how everybody, how everybody looks at this, but I've always been huge on, on constructive criticism. I love it. Give it to me. I need more and more and more and more. But not everybody is like that. But I truly think that it's great. I think it's great for you because we all have blind spots in our thinking process and our behavior. And I really think that you need to not be so one dimensional. You need to allow another person. And of course, let that other person be a mentor, someone you trust, someone you respect, someone you know that knows you, understands your vision. All of those things I think are important. Don't just ask any random person, especially someone that maybe doesn't have your back, right? Definitely look for constructive criticism from those positive people in your life. And asking for that regular constructive feedback, it cuts through any of that self-deficit, right? It cuts through that one-dimensional view of yourself, and it allows you to open up a realistic perspective, right? So employers, I think, they should always be looking to improve. 
and they should always be ready for change. Don't be so prideful and, you know, that you can't entertain advice and that you can't allow another opinion, you know, to be there. Definitely um, allow, allow constructive criticism, constructive feedback to be a part of your business. I think it's going to go a long way for you. And lastly, number seven, I would say is meditation. Of course, meditation is known as the foundation for improving your self-awareness, right? It gets us in, in tune with those things that we normally ignore all day. It literally starts and ends with here. Um, by focusing on your breath, you're becoming more and more aware of how your mind wanders. And then if you're becoming more and more aware of that, how your mind wanders and, you know, when it happens, you actually let yourself um, or you're allowing yourself to, to, you know, to get better at stepping back into focus, snapping back into focus and let it allowing minimal distractions to live. That's what happens when you focus on meditation and you incorporate that. Focusing on your breath allows you to do that. And I think it's something that also should be incorporated into your business. I would go as to even say that employers should incorporate this practice into their into their programs, you know? Encourage your employees to meditate. Encourage them to be more mindful of each other and of, of themselves. I think that that's something that can help your business. I, I don't see why not, of course. And so when we're examining these seven tips... And you can find more tips um, in the entrepreneur um, article on entrepreneur.com. I think it's quite reasonable for businesses to incorporate mindfulness. And I think spirituality is something that makes for a better business. Um, and I only, it also makes you better at what you do. You know, it helps others become better at what they do as well. And, you know, it really just gets you into the habit, into the mode of being more holistic, of being more involved with every single aspect of your business. I've never heard of an owner that that had nothing to do with their business. I mean, of course, I'm sure there are, you know, there are some out there, but but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that they, that people that are really invested in their business, I think that they are going that extra mile and incorporating mindfulness into their business and encouraging their employees to do the same. So keeps you humble as well and get excited to learn more about your business and more about yourself. All right. So that was money and business. Um, could spiritual consciousness make for a better business? We're going to move over to health and wellness here. And today we're going to talk about making your own lucid dream pillow. And when you're lucid dreaming, if you're not familiar with what that is, it's when you, uh, the dreamer, you're aware of uh, that you're sleeping, but you're also, you know, conscious throughout throughout this dream. So a lot of us have lucid dreams, you know, ha had lucid dreams, and we didn't even realize it. You know, it's 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 essentially any time that you are aware that you are dreaming, but you can also remember that dream. Um, and I guess that it does go that far because. We know that we dream a lot at night and we do have dreams, whether we remember them or not. But of course, we, we classify our lucid dreams as the ones that we can still remember when we wake up in the morning so we can expand on them and learn from them and incorporate them into our real life and our waking life. So when you're lucid dreaming, you can typically, typically, you know, exert some kind of control over the situation and it makes for a better, it makes you for a better, um, that's unfolding, I'm sorry. And such an altering, such as altering your environment and making better decisions. So these things happen when you're when you're when you're dreaming lucidly. 
you exert some kind of control over the situation, as in you now can control what's going on in your dream and you're not allowing it to happen to you. You're making decisions in your dream. And there are some researchers that do believe that slipping into this semi-aware state can help you improve your memory in real life. It can help you make better you know, decisions, become a better problem solver, and actually leave you um, feeling more rested in the morning. So we're going to talk today about dream pillows and how exactly how exactly we can make them and how exactly they, they work per se. Um, so these dream pillows, they're little sacks, they're little sockets, and they're filled with herbs and essential oils and they're designed to enhance dreaming and your dream memory. Um, what it comes, when it comes to making your own, you can really personalize it to whatever you know is best for you, whatever it is that you're trying to, I guess, manifest in your dreams. Um, since every herb and essential oil has its own set of properties, it's important to understand them. And it's important to individualize um, your dream pillow and <clears throat> build a blend that's complementary and effective for you. So we can do that in five easy steps. Before getting started, you'll need either a small drawstring bag, a little, little small bag. You know, we usually suggest mesh or cloth, something, you know, that's light. Um, or a piece of fabric, you know, you can just tie it up in a ribbon or string, whatever's best for you. You can just take a cloth and make it entirely yourself. So the first thing that you're going to want to do to create your lucid dreaming pillow is to identify your intention. You know, what is it that you're looking to gain from this? Do you want to be able to, you know, to be have more lucid dreams, to be more aware of your dreams? Do you want um, your dreams to be more colorful or more sensational, more vibrant? more romantic or thought provoking? Do you want more dreams related to the universe and, you know, our actual realities and all those kinds of things? Or do you just simply want to strengthen your ability to dream lucidly? You know, you have to set your intention. You want to set that at the beginning and you want to understand what that is because understanding what your intention is will help you understand what herbs and oils that you're going to incorporate. So set your intention at the beginning. Number two, is to choose your herbs. Now, after settling on your purpose for the pillow, you're gonna pick three to five herbs. You don't wanna overdo it. You don't want it to be too low of a dosage either. So, you know, you three to five is usually what's recommended to help you reach your goal. And here are just a few that are highly recommended. Here are a few herbs that you guys can look into as well um, that most of us have heard of, most of us are aware of, and some of the highly recommended herbs. There's anise or an ice. It's for dispelling anger, stress, or nervousness before bedtime, which is really great, right? For, for anyone that just has a difficulty really relaxing before going to sleep, you'll probably want that herb. There's catnip for relaxation. And yes, surprisingly, it's not just for cats. Um, chamomile, that's for fending off bad dreams. Very, very important for those of us for night tremors, night terrors, anything like that. Definitely you'll want to involve or incorporate, you know, your chamomile to fend off those bad dreams. Cloves are for wild exotic dreams, very exciting. Uh, there's pugwort for, you know, better dream memory so that you can wake up and really, really be aware of what happened in those dreams. Peppermint is for vivid dreams and rosemary for falling into a deep, deep, deep sleep. So you'll want rosemary if you have difficulty falling asleep as well. Those are just a few of the herbs that, you know, we, we've suggested that we know are highly recommended and have always gone a long way to helping people. 
Number three is adding your essential oil. So after you've already had your, your herbs in the pouch, you'll want to add just a few little drops of your favorite essential oils uh, to put it all together. And so here are a few good scents that most of us know about that we would also recommend for your lucid dream pillow. There is clary sage. That's for calming the body and the mind, particularly great for people struggling with depression. I would say that um, I've heard a lot about these clary sages and they've definitely, I've heard help other people calm, you know, it's been a great antidepressant for many people, um, as well as just something that gets rid of their 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 their, their jitters and their nervousness. It, it goes on so many different levels, you know. There is rose for romantic juicy dreams, sandalwood uh, for quieting a chaotic mind. There's patchouli, which is for colorful psychedelic dreams. Very very cool. And highly treesum, which is for treating insomnia. Also another thing that you may want to probably maybe mix with that rosemary to get you really into a deep, deep sleep. Number four would be setting the scene. So after you've put in your herbs, you've put in, you've set your intention, you've put in your herbs, you've put in your oils. Now you want to set the scene. You want to create a ritual around this dream pillow that can help you, you know, and get into a relaxing slumber. And if this is something that you plan on doing, you know, often, then you'll want to really think about getting in the habit of setting a ritual. And what that is really is essentially, like we've always mentioned, the mind is something that can be trained, can be worked with, and it learns new things all the time. So if you want to get in the habit of, you know, putting your mindset, putting your mind, I'm sorry, into a particular mindset for when you want to have a lucid dream, then you would want to have certain things that you do with the intention, the herb, the oil, and then maybe you'll want to incorporate other little things like maybe colorful tapestries that you want to put up or certain lights that you want to have around. But get in the habit of personalizing it and get in the habit of getting used to that so that your body is um, physically um, aware and physically anticipates your lucid dream as well. Many people I know keep a journal by their bed so that they can document their dreams. Um, upon waking up, they take a few minutes to jot down everything that they can remember. And, you know, no matter how crazy it is, jot down everything. And that allows you to both remember your dreams, right, in the long run. And it also pulls insight from everything that went down. You're able to fully understand the connections after going through it so many times. So get in the habit of also setting the scene for these lucid dreams. Number five, set multiple loud alarms. <laughs> Now, of course, this is for afterwards. Many people oversleep their first few times. Definitely, definitely. You're probably going to oversleep if this is your first time really, you know, getting into the oils and these herbs. You know, the way that they work with our bodies, they really do relax us. And I know that there have been so many people that have said this. Um, this happens to me, you know, just the other night. I was after a relaxing yoga nidra. I, I didn't even wake up. <laughs> So it can definitely happen. You can be so relaxed that you just forget about other things. But you don't want that to happen. You want to be relaxed so you can do these other things. So set that loud alarm. And it suggested you set multiple. Definitely the first few times. So creating a dream pillow, it's a powerful gesture. You know, it's showing the universe that you're open. And, you know, you're accepting of these lucid dreams and of whatever it is that it's trying to tell you. So maybe by setting that alarm, you can continue with whatever else is important in your waking life, of course. 
Um, all of these amazing tips are brought to you by an article from Mind Body Green. Want to control your dreams. Um, so, ladies and gents, that is how you can make your own lucid dreaming pillow. Add your oils, your herbs, and really, really learn um, about yourself. Because essentially that's what I think lucid dreaming is. I think every time I lucid dream, I learn a little bit about myself. And, and sometimes it's about other people as well. But I but I've gone into the understanding of um, I've, I guess I developed an understanding of even when other people in my lucid dreams are incorporated, it all comes back to me. Right. It is all about me learning something different here. So I would say definitely, definitely do more research on putting together your own lucid pillows, lucid dreaming pillows and um, never stop. Never stop trying to figure out exactly what's going on in there. Waking life, subconscious, all of it. And for our final topic today, we're going to move over into the realms of our universe. Is life expansion possible? You know, how we can learn from the longest living humans and what we can learn from them. A friend of mine, um, he asked an elderly woman once, uh, you know, what's the secret to a long life? How, how are you still alive and well? And this woman said to him, stress kills. <laughs> Point blank period. Couldn't say it better than that. Stress will kill you. And many of us have heard that term, you know, we, we've heard it, our moms have said it or whatever. And but how many of us have actually gone that extra mile to interpreting it and incorporating it and literally applying it to our everyday lives, right? Now, <clears throat> I know that that may be, be difficult to do. Upon hearing that it may be difficult to do, you know, Oh, so I'm just going to stop stressing. I have bills. I have I have other responsibilities in life and it's difficult and it, it piles up. I understand these things. Trust me. I get that that's difficult. And in our Western society, especially, we live in a place where we don't really celebrate or even anticipate growing up, you know, with, you know, which is also given birth to many concepts and ideas and slogans like live fast, die young, or YOLO, you only live once. You know, so some may agree that the concept of growing old in our society is feared, you know, and it's linked to chronic illness or disease. But it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't have to be such an ugly thing, <laughs> this growing old and a long life and um, being an elderly person. Dan uh, Butner, he's a National Geographic explorer. He found it interesting that people living in specific regions of the world tend to live longer than those living elsewhere. He set out to get answers to that question or to his big question, why? How is that possible? Butner identified five geographical locations where people had been observed to live the longest, the longest living people. So he identified these regions as blue zones. That's what he calls them. And found that even though these zones differ widely geographically, so they're all over our globe, um, the diets, the lifestyles of these residents were, were very common. They were very much the same. So I guess really when we're diving into this concept of life expansion and is it possible, it's very much connected to diets and lifestyle. And is it something you're willing to make possible? So we're going to explore the top nine things that these people had in common that ultimately led to their longevity. 
and how you can incorporate them as well into your everyday life. So I got this from an article, Nine Secrets of the World's Longest Living People, an article written by Alana Kettler. This is from collectiveevolution.com. Bootner says, um, if you ask the average American what the optimal formula for longevity is, they probably couldn't tell you. And yeah, I mean, I really wouldn't disagree with Bootner's statement there. I don't think the majority of Americans even perceive life that way. I don't think we focus on longevity. I think as Americans, you know, especially in the past few decades, our society, we are so into, it seems that way, that we're so into, you know, the hottest, newest, biggest trends, you know, we're focusing on those kinds of things and where we don't even hesitate to throw out the old. Oops, lost my pen there. We don't even hesitate to, to, to throw out the old. And, you know, I think that, that that concept, though, when we're really attacking the Western perceptions, I think that we really need to think about that as well when we're diving into these, these nine amazing topics here. Um, so one, the first thing on the list, is to slow down and deal with stress. So that goes back to my friend, right, and that elderly woman. Those of us who don't take the time to truly get to know our issues and our problems, we're really going to have it so much worse in the long run. And I think it's because that's piling on one issue on top of another without ever truly releasing, acknowledging, or correcting those issues along the way. Now, this also connects to the holistic treatments versus our modern medicine and why I think that it's so important for us to be incorporating or to be thinking holistically. Just think holistic. Like, that's all that I'm really saying. If we focus on what causes our colds or sicknesses, um, is it our diet? You know, is it new products that we're exposed to? Whatever. You know, if we mixed, if we mixed up alkaline herbal teas, you know, like ginger and cloves to actually work on our colds and our diseases and everything else, rather than just popping an ibuprofen, which is only going to reduce the symptoms for a, for a few hours, and then you're going to have to take another one, then we would be inevitably setting ourselves up for a longer life. So pay attention to the stress and get to the root of your problems always. You know, and that's why I do incorporate the holistic view, because I think, well, that's entirely what holistic means. It's focusing on the whole. It's focusing on everything rather than just one little piece of the puzzle. And I think that when you do that, you're... You're doing just that. You're focusing on the real issues. You're focusing on what exactly is going on there, which is not just one thing in one area at one time. You know, there are many little things that affected this one thing. And if we work on these many little things, we can correct that one thing. So I think we should think about it that way. Slow down, deal with your stress as it comes. Number two is to have a purpose. Now, this may be easier said than done, but I truly, 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 truly believe that every single living one of us, every single one of us has a purpose. We have something amazing to offer, you know, to overcome, to exceed at, to be blessed with. We all have something. And I think that something was meant to be shared with others. So I think having a purpose and Buten, of course, thinks having a purpose is so beneficial in his studies. He found that having a reason to get out of bed was especially essential for seniors and the elderly. Having something you can put your energy towards, um, work on, see it grow each day um, is enough. And it doesn't, you know, have to be more than that. And it does help you live longer. 
So I encourage that we develop, you know, the mindset early on, you shouldn't settle for having or being nothing. Live for something, ladies and gentlemen. Number three is eat less. <clears throat> Now, Butner observed the eating habits of various cultures in these regions and all ate sporadically. They all did sparingly. I'm sorry, not sporadically, sparingly. The, they eat um, the eating habits of the Ikinawans specifically demonstrated an aversion to access. They know that the feeling of fullness comes after the meal is completed. So rather than stuffing themselves until they feel full, they stop eating before they feel full, knowing the feeling will come afterwards. They also eat off small plates and prepare smaller portions. So I would agree with this, right? I would agree with that. I know plenty of others like myself who've gotten into the habit of eating out of boredom. What is this? Why have we done that? I, I don't know why. I, I just ate five minutes ago or, you know, maybe reasonably 30 minutes ago, but I'm popping, you know, I'm having chips or something. We eat out of boredom. And this is something that's pretty fairly common now that it's like joked about. We joke about it now, you know, just eating because we're bored. And I'm not sure what this is. I'm not sure if this, you know, has to do with, you know, The industrial complex, you know, have we just gotten used to, you know, having so much stuff or wasting and overusing our resources because we just assume that we have so much of it? Um, is it a modern Western mindset, this eating out of boredom or just eating all the time? I don't know. Well, we've heard of cultures like Native Americans, right? Native American Indians who inhabited our land, you know, America way before we did, And they had different ways of doing things. They were very careful about what they used and they still are very careful about what they use. You know, they used every single piece of the buffalo and they valued longevity and the elderly. So it's really weird. Like, do, do, do these things go hand in hand? Do your, does your culture and the way that you, you know, you, you perceive these things, like little things like our intake of food, does it actually connect to your worldview and your perception on everything? I think on some levels it does. I think I think that these, you know, the, that the Native Americans, for example, of course, and the Akanoans, they 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 have smaller portions. They focus on small, small, small because they realize that they need to expand these resources. These resources, they these resources, they would like to be here for quite some time. I feel like now as Americans, we're just like, okay, we can just do this. We'll throw it away. We can get another one next week. And that wasn't the way that everyone else has always thought. And I'm not sure if it's true that everybody else before us has been working for us to think this way. And what I mean is that, is it a privilege for us to perceive it this way? Is it a privilege for us to eat more and have more and all these things if there are people that are dying? If there are people that are not getting enough resources and not getting enough? I don't know. So number three is eat less. And I think that that goes into a lot more other things as well. Eat a variety of foods and a lot of plants is number four. One thing that was undisputed about these blue zone regions was the amount and variety of plant-based foods consumed by their people. Blutner believes, and I would definitely agree, that a diet consisting of predominantly plant-based foods proves to be a key factor in longevity, regardless of your geo sorry geographical location. So actually, Okinawan... Uh, cuisines, which now people would even go as far to say that they're that it's a diet, a, a quinoanian diets. Um, they consist of smaller meal portions of green and yellow vegetables and fish, and relatively very small portions of rice. So people all over the world have been studying the way that 
and life of these people, the Okinawas, as well as switching to the Okinawa diet. In addition to their high life expectancy, the Okinawas, islanders are noted for their low mortality from cardiovascular disease and certain types of cancers. So this connects to other topics that we've discussed, longevity and life and life expectancy. And of course, now the, you know, the, um, the decrease, I should say, I guess, or uh, of, of cancer. They can't even get, they're not even dealing with the things that we're dealing with, the, with the diseases that we're dealing with, with the cancers that we're dealing with. They are not even looking at them because they have a diet that consists of green and, you know, yellow vegetables, plant-based diets with the high, high, high in alkaline. And honestly, it's helping them live longer. It's connected to them living longer. So how can we dispute these things? You know, and I'm still, I'm still someone that eats meat not as often um, as I, you know, as I used to, but I find it very difficult, of course, to, to, um, I guess, stop this habit that we've had since birth, basically, a lot of us. So, but it's something that I, but I'm constantly trying to remind myself that, you know, there are so many amazing reasons and so many amazing research as to why it is better for us. Because yes, meat tastes good. Who doesn't love bacon? But if you could eat, you know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, almost guarantee that you can live long enough to do the things that you want to do, it's a no brainer. You should definitely just refocus your energy on longevity and refocus your energy on those fruits and plants that were made for you. Number five is to be social. In America, elderly people are often put in nursing homes or care facilities, and they're led, you know, they lead to very lonely, very isolated lives or deaths, I should say. I mean, it's very sad. And something that all of the Blue Zones had in common is a strong sense of community that includes the older people. Um, instead of shunning and just forgetting about them, they these people are celebrated, they're included, and they're often credited with passing on wisdom to the younger generations. So unlike America, they don't have this urgency for the new, and they learn from each other, and there's no separation from generation to generation. And honestly, I totally agree that this also has a lot to do with um, longevity and keeping them alive longer, because we know that people have been... We know that people had to have passed on information from generation to generation for anything to have gotten this far. And if we just want to look into all of the crazy connections that we're making now with our modern science to, you know, ancient Egypt and the irony that, in fact, this information was lost, right? Information was lost for a few, you know, a few thousands of years. And now we're, we're getting back into it. Essentially, this being social and incorporating the elderly is cutting that it's cutting that whole concept that middleman the person that was supposed to pass on the knowledge from the old to the new that's what we're doing here that's what they're doing they're incorporating every single generation they're not skipping a single thing you know the elderly that were here that were on this earth 80 years from us now could offer a lot of insight to the things that we're seeing and dealing with right now but it's unfortunate that we on the on this other side, the Western side, we don't even see it that way. We're just like, oh, no, that was 80 years ago. It's completely different, as if it has nothing to do with what's going on now. And it's just simply not true. It's just not true. So I would encourage you as well. Be social. Incorporate 
you know, all of the wisdom that comes from the beginning to the younger generations. And that's another thing too, younger generations, they do have a lot to offer. I don't want to be one-sided here. I don't necessarily agree in a society that focuses on the elderly, but doesn't want to focus on education. I don't agree with that. You have to go all around. Holistic, 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 holistic. It is all encompassing. It is all directions. It is everywhere. Focus on the youth and focus on the elderly to make the present, to make us right here in the middle, to make this better. So number six would be to have faith. A large percentage of those living in blue zones had faith. They believed in a higher purpose for life, um, be it religious or spiritual, whatever. And this has nothing to do with recruiting others or debating about their religious views and what's God and this and that, ideological views or perspectives, none of that. Having faith is about you and you alone. It's about, you know, it should only involve you. It's about the connection that you have with this higher purpose. And I can agree that having faith or positive wisdom, divine wisdom, however you, however you describe it, can be beneficial for your growth and for your health, of course. Number seven would be to drink in moderation or not at all. So people either enjoyed a glass of wine or two daily or they didn't drink at all. According to uh, Butner's research, he did not see people drinking to excess. He didn't see people getting drunk, so drunk that they couldn't even, you know, they didn't even know where they were. No one was getting drunk or acting a fool, like you might see on our Miami streets. This is also, you know, this also makes perfect sense considering that alcohol is very damaging for the body. It's easily understood that those who don't consume alcohol, or at least not regularly, would have a longer life expectancy. Absolutely. Hands down, I can agree with that, and I can believe that. Number eight is to move naturally. People who live in blue zones, they moved a lot throughout their day, and it wasn't intentional. They didn't make a point to do so. They were just more in tune with nature. It was just all natural stuff. They incorporated gardening, walking, spending time outdoors. They just interacted a lot with nature, like I said. So something I think that you know we could definitely improve on would be to incorporating nature. This can also connect to the sort of unnatural world that we've created for ourselves here, right? We're completely separated from nature at this point in our lives to the point that we don't even perceive ourselves as human beings as nature. Isn't that crazy? We, we, we say things like, well, human beings, human beings, as if it's supposed to oppose um, an animal, as if it's supposed to oppose, you know, every other natural living thing on this, on this planet. But that's how we perceive it now in this day and age. Like we are above, like we are different, like we are better. And it's not that we are maybe not all those things, but we're also nature. <laughs> we are very much natural beings. And it's we need to look at ourselves as such. We need to not, you know, why are we so baffled when we hear something like a plant, you know, has the exact same properties, the right properties to clean, to cleanse us. Why is that crazy to us? We were both made on this planet. We were we were both created on this planet. Our DNA strands look almost the same. You know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be that crazy to understand when you look at yourself as nature as well. If you perceive yourself as a natural being, as a part of nature, then it's not a surprise when natural things, natural substances can aid you, can help you and are there for you. You know, I think it's even crazier for to convince somebody that this pill that I made in a factory can help you before this plan that was made from the ground. But that's another story, right? We can't 
we are, I'm sorry, in a point where we rely on cell phones, computers. We're surrounded by electromagnetic energy, you know, and we even have machines that prepare our foods. We are so disconnected. And so I think that it's safe to say that the majority of us just don't think, you know, for ourselves. We don't think for us. <laughs> we hear what everyone else says and we kind of just go off of that. So we should move more naturally in all aspects. And that really has a lot to do with also being, you know, just natural to yourself and um, being more mindful to everything that's going on around you. That, in a sense, is natural. What's unnatural is to just let yourself be. What's unnatural is just to let other people tell you what to do. Let other people dictate to you what's right and what's wrong and everything else. I think all incorporated. So, yeah, there's a lot of unnatural activities that we do partake in that I truly think we can reverse and correct. But I think that it does begin with a natural approach. I think it begins with us understanding that we're natural beings to begin with. And number nine, lastly, is to put your loved ones first. People in blue zones keep their families close. Parents and grandparents, they play a big role in the lives of the children all the way up to their adulthood. This goes back to their being social, right? Incorporating all the generations. In America, we often see children trying to separate themselves from their parents. Very young, at a very young age already. You don't want anything to do with mom and dad. And wanting to fit in. Sometimes they want to be perceived as cool or they want to be, you know, whatever it is. But this happens to a lot of kids at a young age. And then the parents, they send their kids off to college. They just send them away from the home. And then they're no longer talking to them on a regular basis until they graduate. And then sometimes, hopefully, if you're lucky, you know, they become close later on in life, further on down the child's adulthood. And it's thus that thus that's when the time, you know, they start to begin appreciating their parents and all that they did for them without even realizing that if they were just connected to them from, you know, a younger age, from birth, like you should have naturally been then, you know, there would have never been these weird things that we go through as kids and feeling like you're unwanted or feeling, you know, out of place. It seems to be a seesaw dance that happens, though. Like the parents, the kids push the parents away and the parents push the kids away or, or however it goes. But I think that consistency makes for a strong, longing, you know, longer lasting bond and relationship. So do many of the families living in the blue zones. So... Talk to your children, you know, talk to your parents, incorporate them in your lives and in your decisions and <clears throat> put your loved ones first. Let them be your shining light. If there's no reason for you to do anything good, let it be for them. And I think that all of these things combined can help you live a longer, better life. And I think I want to thank um, Dan Bootner. We got this from Collective Evolution, the National Geographic Explorer. I want to thank him for really looking into these, uh, looking into these reasons as to how we can live longer and live better lives. Thanks again today for joining us for this amazing show. I am Vanessa. This is Believe. You can always find us at believe.love, youtube.com forward slash believe loves you. For our Apple users, believe iTunes.com and for Android, believe Android.com. Thanks again. Bye.